This is Larry Levine, author of Selling from the Heart, How Your Authentic Self Sells You, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in or you'd like to learn more about, send me a connection invite on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. But, and this is important, make sure to include a message with your connection invite telling me that you're a marketing book podcast listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer. This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no cost? You can with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. It's a new, very advanced, and easy-to-use free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use... Even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Larry Levine to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Selling from the Heart, How Your Authentic Self Sells You. With 30 years of In the field sales experience in the B2B technology space, Larry Levine has successfully sold to customers ranging from up and down the street accounts to Fortune 500 companies. In the fall of 2013, Larry became a corporate major account rep for a Japanese original equipment manufacturer in Los Angeles, California, one of the most competitive markets in the United States. He walked into a zero-base opportunity with no current customers. By using the strategies explained in Selling from the Heart, he booked over $1.3 million in new sales the following year, leaving behind a $1.6 million pipeline for the next rep to develop. Larry now coaches sales leaders and their teams to do what he did. Since 2015, Larry has coached sales professionals across the spectrum of tenured reps to new millennials entering the sales force. Larry is also co-host of the Selling from the Heart podcast with Daryl Amy, author of The Revenue Growth Engine, which was recently featured on the Marketing Book Podcast. And interesting fact, Larry's father was a PhD rocket scientist. Larry, congratulations on Selling from the Heart and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hey, Doug. Thanks a lot. I've been looking forward to this. So Let's get to it. I think we're going to have a great time. Me too. Me too. And I saw you at the Outbound Conference the last time it was live, I guess about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I regret that I didn't walk up and introduce myself. But, you know, I'm like everybody probably in LA. You know, you see a celebrity and it's like, oh, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to interrupt them. And so I, you know, hopefully one of these days I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll cross paths. But, oh, stop. Come on. But, but, you know, you said something that was really interesting. Doesn't it seem like a year and a half or so ago or two years ago was about an infinity? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so interesting. Oh, my goodness. It's it's really thrown <laughs> off all my sense of time and space more than normal. But another interesting fact about Larry Levine is that your sales career started with drugs. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude yeah whoa so uh, maybe we should explain that you were not a drug dealer no actually no i wasn't full disclosure so don't anyone have some preconceived notions of, of who i am but in high school you know i'm i'm a big believer doug that a, a lot of your early jobs that you have in life help you form the foundations of what happens later. In a lot of my high school career, and obviously, and sometimes even into college, was working in a pharmacy. I remember my very first job was delivering prescription medicine after school to people who couldn't get out of their house. And so that's why I always say, you know, my first, my first real job was selling drugs, but it actually wasn't. It was kind of pushing them out the door, but nevertheless. <laughs> right, right. Well, interesting, interesting fact. The host of the Marketing Book Podcast, his grandfather and his uncle were both pharmacists. They had uh, some drug stores. So I remember when I was little in the summers visiting them and watching that whole uh, world. It was very interesting. And it's kind of uh, an experience that's gone away because now all the big chain drug stores, in fact, they ultimately sold to a big chain. But um, it was a small drug store and it was really interesting to see how it all worked and, and the relationships that they had with their their patients. So, you know, it's 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 interesting. So I'll I'll drop another little secret on you, Doug. Okay, so this sounds like a marketing book podcast exclusive. I just want the listener to appreciate that. <laughs> Actually, at one point, I did want to become a pharmacist. That's right. Yes, I saw that in your book. Because exactly what you just said is, even though it was after school and I was in and out of the pharmacy. I started to see the relationships that the pharmacist had with the people that were coming in. And I also started to notice the relationships that they had with the pharmaceutical representatives that would come in as well. And I go, this would be kind of cool, right? I'm just young and impressionable. And I go, hey, you know what? I, I think I could try to become a pharmacist. I mean, because obviously that was my first real like paying job once I turned 16. But here's what was interesting is, and, and full disclosure, I went into I went into my first year in college set to become a pharmacist until I got to chemistry and I couldn't balance a chemical equation at all. And I said, man, Larry, if, if you can't balance a chemical equation, there's no way in heck you're going to become a pharmacist. Yeah. So it was, a it was a short-lived thought. It took one semester of chemistry and I was done. Well, I think most people, certainly me, a lot of listeners – are probably not doing what they originally thought they were uh, <laughs> going to be doing. So um, I should explain, there's always a new listener on every episode, and this is the Marketing Book Podcast, but this is a book about sales, obviously. And the reason I have books about sales are, uh, there's a, a variety of them, but one is that the most successful marketers have deep understanding and insights into sales, what their sales counterparts are doing, what their challenges are, perhaps even more importantly, uh, deep insights into the buyer and the friction the buyer has and, and all that type of thing. Um, but also, just personally, I get so – it seems to me like I get more marketing ideas by reading sales books than by reading marketing books. But I you know, obviously, <laughs> I, I enjoy both. But that's why I, I insist on having sales books on the Marketing Book Podcast. And I was so interested to see that a number of the authors that have endorsed your book, I've had the honor of interviewing. So it was like a, a little bit of a family reunion here for me. So let me just read from – 
uh, and I, I know Larry, I know you're very competitive with Daryl, Amy, um, but, and I don't just, want this. Just, just, a, hey, just a little bit. So Daryl, if you're listening, you know, I'm going to one up you this whole time. So. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I don't want this to be all about Daryl, Amy, but I don't, I want to, you know, talk about Daryl, Amy as much as possible. Um, I want to read from uh, a quote from the preface that he wrote for the book. He writes, every one of your competitors has access to similar sales tools and tactics. Most likely, there isn't a whole lot of difference between your products or services and your competition. In this environment, how are you going to win? You need to do something different. At first glance, it may seem that the idea of selling from the heart is a little touchy-feely and not focused on results. However, I've come to agree with Larry that the true X factor that differentiates the winners is that they are genuine, and they give a rip about their client's success. They want to help. They don't need a sales manager to push them. They are driven to succeed and willing to work hard to earn a great living. When you sell from the heart, you introduce a whole new dynamic into the sales process that creates powerful differentiation. That helps you win more deals, which is not touchy-feely at all. But it also does something else. In addition to making more sales, you get to make a difference. Selling from the heart equals more money plus more meaning. So, Larry, this book is divided into two sections, which are which is finding your authentic you and then the sales skills of an authentic sales professional. Why did you not start with the skills first? It's a great question, and here's why. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna share. This goes back to I spent 28, almost 29 years in the office technology channel. So I, I and I write about it early on in the book. I sold copiers my whole life in Los Angeles, and I look back on all the training, all the coaching, all the workshops, everything that I went to in sales, Doug, was all around skill set building. How to piece a deal together, how to prospect batter, closing techniques, objections, right? All that. And, and these are things that we all can agree are important. But there's not one time in my 28 year career that not one manager and not one leader. Now, I, I'm going to put a preface on this. I probably had more managers than leaders, and that's a topic of another conversation. But nevertheless, they never helped me become the best version of myself. They never, in a group setting, said, hey, you know what? Over the next couple days, we're going to work on your authentic self. We're going to work on helping you become better. And when I went down the road of bringing all this to life, I said, you know what? And when I started to write the book, I go, I'm going to flip the script on this. The skills are important, but those are going to come secondary. It's about uncovering who you are. It's about doing the inner work. It's about uncovering and bringing the best version of yourself forward in a real, genuine, authentic way, and then marrying those skills together. To me, that's a home run. That's why I divided the book into two parts. Yes, and it brought to mind uh, one of the books by Anthony Annarino, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. Mm -hmm. And it's all about getting your head straight. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the, the, the um, General Mattis quote about the most important six inches on the battlefield are the space between your ears. I mean, if you get your head straight, <laughs> everything else falls in place. And that's what's going on here uh, in your book as well, at least yeah. in my opinion. So Yeah, yeah it is. No, you're right. It's, it's not only getting your head straight, Doug, it's getting your heart straight as well. Yes, yes. So uh, I want to step back, though. And ask you about something you have on page 16. Why are you concerned with the current state of the sales profession? Because everybody, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be pretty direct on this, but I'm going to be professional about it. 
It's as long as it's from the heart, Mr. Levine. It, it, it is. In, in everything I do, I, I speak that way. Yes. But I do it because I care. I care about the sales profession. And when I say I'm concerned about it is I'm concerned because everybody's deflecting. And, and let me – maybe not so everybody, but when I say this is we live in this excuse society in sales. If, if I don't hit whatever that budget number is, if something goes awry – on a deal, if somebody doesn't buy something from me, or all of a sudden a customer has an issue, salespeople today play the deflection game really, really well. And that's what I'm concerned with, as opposed to, and I write a lot about it in the book, the difference between a sales rep and a sales professional. Yeah. And where the big part of this is I'm concerned with is, why don't you take ownership for what you do? Yeah, say more about the difference between a sales rep and a sales professional. That was a, a, a more of an eye opener for me. Yeah, yeah, and, and I and I want to preface this. this: this is not to disrespect by no means anybody in sales, and and I don't want your listeners, you know, to take this personally because it's not a it's not a personal statement. It's to get us to think, and I'll keep it really simple, and then I will expand on it. Doug is. In simple terms, I said the difference between a sales rep and a sales professional is sales professionals do the things that sales reps fail to do. And what I mean by that is consistently prospect, consistently working on themselves, consistently learning, consistently asking those tough questions that get people to think, lending a helping hand, learning how to serve, always striving to become better every single day. They set the time aside to work on themselves. They set the time to work on developing in their mind. And they have a no-excuse attitude, as opposed to sales reps who just go about doing their job and expecting everything to happen. Yes, and later in the book, you talk about sales professionals treat sales just like a professional athlete approaches their line of work, constantly uh, learning, practicing, uh, doing, refining. Let's talk a little bit more. Let, let's go through some of the things that are in the first part of the book. Um, and I, I want to ask you to explain the the part about you know finding your authentic you, and you walk the reader through some of the things they should be doing to to determine who who they really are, and maybe who they're not, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You write that self reflection is never easy, but for sales professionals, this is the difference between just getting by and making it happen. Talk about self reflection. Yeah, and um, I'm going to get kind of deep on this for a moment, but I think you're going to understand where I'm going with this. And um, I had to look inside myself, A, when I was writing this book as well, but my whole entire sales career. And I think why it's so important to really uncover who you are in sales is, is it is it okay if I take your listeners back in time a little bit, Doug? Please. Thank you. I have lots of extra audio tapes, so it's going to be fun. No, it's, it, it's yeah, all I went good. by Costco. <laughs> it's all good. I hope your membership card was valid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, they always kind of look at me a little suspiciously, as they should, but please, don't. go ahead. No, in, in all seriousness, why I say that the self-reflection and really uncovering who you are is I want to take everyone back to how I was raised. And I think you'll understand even more so as we peel Selling from the Heart, the book back, is I grew up with a father who was a rocket scientist for the United States Air Force. So he had a PhD in aeronautical physics from two Ivy League schools before he could legally drink alcohol. Serious brain power. Massive brain power. He graduated high school, a science high school at 15 and a half. 
and two Ivy League schools with a PhD in aeronautical physics before he was 21 years old. And I was raised with, because my dad traveled a lot. My dad was constantly on the road as a rocket scientist. So I was raised by a very nurturing, overbearing, loving, caring mom. I grew up with a couple sisters. Most of my cousins were females. So I always tell people, Doug, I'm more female than male, and that's okay. Right. I, I'm comfortable with it. You're in touch I, with your feminine side. I, I'm in touch with my feminine side and I can cry with the best of them. And I put both of these together to help catapult me in my sales career. But I shared the self-reflection part of this because I struggled mightily, mightily growing up as a kid because school and education I rebelled against. And I saw how smart my dad was. And I go, I, I maybe missed the gene. And I fell into sales because, right? It's not like I grew up and said, hey, I, I can't wait to become a sales professional like most people, right? <laughs> there was other career. There's other careers I wanted to, to, to do. Like being a pharmacist. Like being a pharmacist, right. Yeah. But, I, I, but I fell into sales completely polar opposite of what my dad was. Why am I sharing all this? Because I had to grow up with a dad who was so super smart and I didn't have that gene. And I didn't want to let my dad down. But I went into sales and the whole time I had to sit there and go, okay, am I getting there? Am I getting there? And I would beat myself up. And that's where I learned this whole self-reflection and coming in tune with who I am is because I had to come to grips with, hey, guess what? This is who I am. I may not be as smart as my father, but I'm just as good. And I learned that the more that I worked on myself, the more I worked on the inner part of who I was, and the more I came to grips with my strengths, the better that I became. Most people don't want to reflect, I would think. Why do you think that is? Maybe afraid of the truth? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's, uh, you know, there's psychiatrists and psychologists that can explain it to us. But it's, uh, it's um, scary. People don't want to face up to it. But some of the greatest advancements have happened for people when they were faced with something like that. And that's why you often hear that success is such a terrible teaching experience because through failure, particularly fast failure, uh, that's where the real learning happens. So I'm not yeah, encouraging no. people to fail, but I can just think of some of the setbacks I've had uh, in my life, like everyone has, and uh, and how much I learned from them and how much uh, I learned through adversity and, and tension. Yeah. You know, what, what a, in, in one of my favorite sayings, it played out through my whole career is this, the stories in our head are the stories that we tell. The stories in our head are the stories that we tell ourselves, and then we act those stories out. That I wrestled with that my whole entire sales career. And that's why I always worked on who I was, because I never thought I was good enough. And I say that because of how I was raised with, with somebody who was such a smart brainiac that I had to say, you know what? I developed all these stories, and that's where. And again, I'm not a. I, I told I told somebody, Doug, as I was writing, selling from the heart, because I was about three or four chapters in, and somebody asked me, you know, what's the research? What's the science? What do you bring into selling from the heart? And I said, hey, full disclosure, right? I don't have a PhD in psychology. I don't even have a master's in human, you know, psychology, anything like that. But I have a PhD in getting the you know what kicked out of me my whole life selling copiers. <laughs> And that's what I'm bringing. I, I worked harder on myself than anybody else did. I held myself to a higher degree of standard than anybody else did. Mm. 
And I brought that to life because I'm a, I'm a big believer in this. And I write about it a lot. I speak about it a lot through Selling from the Heart. I believe we're products of how we were raised. Mm-hmm. You've heard that saying before. We are products of how we were raised. Well, guess what? In sales, whether that be in sales or in marketing, right? We are who we are based on the environments that we were raised in. I took both of that and I put it together. Being raised with an overbearing, highly relational, highly emotional, real, genuine mother and an overbearing, highly educated father, I smashed that together and I brought it to the sales world. Are you sick of your competitors outranking you in search results? Wish there was an easier way to get more Google traffic? What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings, and then get clear and simple advice on what to do to fix it so you can increase your website visibility on Google for free? With the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, you can do it. They'll help you quickly improve your site's Google visibility by showing you over 100 technical issues that might be holding back your site's search performance, as well as how to simply fix them. Plus, the tool shows the sites that link to you so you'll know your most linked pages and the keywords your pages are ranking for in order to tweak your content and increase your monthly organic search traffic. This used to be something reserved for professional SEOs who had special knowledge and access to expensive tools, but now you can do this in minutes with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free. And this isn't one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a super powerful tool that'll do a full website audit for you and keep working for you for free. You know, when you realize just how valuable this free tool is and how much it can help grow your business, you might want to think about showing your appreciation by sending the host to the Marketing Book Podcast a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Something to think about. Just putting it out there. (laughs) I'm kidding. Not really. But seriously, we've been using Ahrefs at my firm for years, and I'm delighted to have them back as a sponsor. Check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash AWT. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll also include the link in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com and include a video that shows you how it works. So, through the self-reflection, you explain in the book and some of the things that uh, you uh, can do to own up to who you are and, and really leverage those strengths. Let's talk a little bit about people's story and their brand. And you write in the book that the, the biggest problem is that most people in sales haven't been taught nor have given thought to how important their brand is and what to do with it. So, how can salespeople share their story in, in such a way that positions them as the more the go-to sales professional that everyone wants to work with. A couple things. I'll share where I really learned this from. I, I learned this uh, about 15, 16, 17 years ago, Doug. After you'd been in sales for a number of years. After I've been in sales for all day. And this is, so now I'm going to take everyone back. So I'm probably in my early 40s. I'm 56 right now. Mm-hmm. And so this, I was probably 40, 41 years old, right about there when I knew there was something just not right. And when I say there was something just not that right is, yeah, that was at a point in time where people were hiding behind even, you know, even back then, emails, phone calls weren't getting returned as much and so forth. 
And I had uh, seen a gentleman speak at my son's private school. And it really intrigued me. And up afterwards, I, I went up to this person. Lo and behold, you know, fast forward, this guy was my very first business coach. But what really intrigued me about this person was his story and how he openly shared his story and the troubles and everything that, that he went through growing up. But what was interesting about it is it resonated. It resonated to me. So long story short, I walk up afterwards, we exchange some pleasantries, and I ask him if I can buy him a cup of coffee. And we had that cup of coffee. And right then and there, I said, you know, something's just not sitting right with me. I think I've lost my edge a little bit. And I asked him, I'm a big believer in the old saying, if you ask not, you get not. And I asked him right then on the spot, hey, I'm just curious, would you be my coach? Not really knowing what a coach was all about, because I'd never had one before, Doug. Now, did you say he had been a coach? Yeah, but I, have, but I, hadn't, I have never had a coach. Mm -hmm. But there's just something about him that I aligned to. I aligned to his story and how he was raised. I, I, I connected to it. And why am I sharing all this? Because that's where I learned after our, you know, and I write about it early on in Selling from the Heart, I, cu I cut a five-figure check to the guy right on the spot to coach me for 90 days. I wouldn't be where I'm at today without it. And I share this because the first time we met, he taught me about brand. He taught me about the importance of capturing the attention of somebody online. I didn't even know what social media was. I had no idea what any of this stuff was. Well, it must have been pretty new at the time. It was. But I'm, I'm sharing all of this because as we started to peel back conversations, he goes, what do you think it would be like if you learned how to replicate what you were doing face-to-face -face and how you were taking care of your customers? And what do you think would happen if you started to put that online and let people start following you and learning more about you? This is before I knew about what any of these you know, social media platforms were. So right then and there, he helped me build out a website. On that website, I positioned myself, my story, what made me, me, and I drove people to it. I drove all my clients to it. And everybody that I sold something to, I took a picture with and my arm was around them and it went up on this little, you know, now it'd be like a landing page website. But back then I thought it was big time. But it was right then and there, I learned about the power of the brand. Not from a marketing perspective, but from a pure sales perspective. And all of a sudden, my clients started to see me in a different light. If I met, if I met Doug Burdett for the very first time, I'm gonna dr I was going to drive him and I was coached to go to my website, learn something about me at your leisure when it's convenient with you. And I'm sharing all this because just as my first business coach story hit home, I learned the power of telling a story as a salesperson. The story of how I could t how I take care of my clients, what they can expect, the experience they get, and I just put it out there. And it's really interesting. I'm not a I, back then, and still to this day, I'm not afraid to try new things. And back then, I wasn't at all. And I saw the power instantaneously of how I started to connect and relate to people in a really commoditized backwards sales channel, the copier channel. Yeah, and in a competitive market, yes. Well, if it works there, that's an indication that it could work uh, anywhere. There are uh, two statements that you say that, back to the self-reflection, that every salesperson should be more or less saying into the mirror every day. One is, I am a student of my client's problems. I'm a student of my client's problems. I thought that was great, and boy, does it apply to marketers as well. <laughs> And number two is I am an opportunity creator for my clients. Can you talk more about what it means to be a student of your clients' problems? Because that's 
one of my favorite things in the book that I am stealing and it's worked its way into my subconscious already. Right on, Doug. I like it. I'm a student of my clients. And you know what else it means to me? Of course, we all interpret things differently. Sure. You are observing them. You're not saying, what's your problem? What's keeping you up at night? You are. You can't become a student of your client's problems unless you are getting deep insights into their world and well, what their real problems are. Yeah, which, which means that you have to be proactive about this. And you have to be willing to ask engaging questions and you have to do it with a curious mindset because you care. You have to ask it because you really want to know so you can help. But where I further learned this and why I, I said it the way I said it in the book is I learned a long time ago that, and it still holds true still today, Doug, the old expression, out of sight, out of mind. We've mm -hmm. heard that a million times, right? It's true. And, and so... I always say this, and as, as you get to know me, I, I mean, I'm professionally direct when I say things, but I do it again because I care, is salespeople, whether that be male or female, they're kings or queens, up until the point of the sale. They make the sale, and all of a sudden, they turn into a frog. They go away, right? They made the sale, and now hardly, they hardly see each other. They may see each other occasionally afterwards. Yes, and you write later in the book that it's the post-sale is where the magic happens. And that the, you said that was your secret sauce. It, that was. It was a post-sale was my secret sauce, but it, go, it goes back to this whole, you must be a student of your client's business problems, is because I combined really wanting to understand their business with wanting to even share how much more I could help. So what I would do is after the sale, I set up intervals where I'd go in every 30 days and I would walk the halls of businesses inside their business. I'd walk, literally walk the halls, saying hello to people, observing, right? Mm -hmm. All the key decision makers that are involved in the deal, I would just shake hands. Hey, I'm just, I'm just here. Just want to make sure everything's go you know, going okay. Hey, I'm just curious. What is it that you've been working on the last couple of days? I would ask that to everybody that I, I came across. Larry, that brings to mind the chapter on taking care of clients where you encourage sales professionals to get intimately acquainted with at least six people inside every single one of their accounts. Yeah. And I have a feeling it's not six for a lot of people. And I've actually thought back on my career where, you know, we, we just weren't able to get in or, or we didn't do a good enough job, more likely, yeah. of expanding once we were in and, and getting to know the other people. And it's, it's such great advice. But the catch is <laughs> you have to stay engaged with the customer after you've made that sale. Yeah, you, you do, or else you get called out as being an empty suit, which is chapter 10 of Selling from the Heart. But I want to go back to what you just said, because can we peel this back for a moment? Please. Because um, it, it, you, 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 you bring up chapter seven of the book. Um, and chapter seven of the book was spurned by, by an organization that's out where I live. It's called Johnny and Friends. And Johnny and Friends is a Christian-based ministry not too far from where I live in Southern California. And I'm going to take your listeners back about 25, 26 years ago. I made a cold call into Johnny and Friends, and I didn't know at that point that that cold call would forever change my life and how I take care of my customers, which actually, again, spurned Chapter 7 of Selling from the Heart. On a cold call, 
I, in, and this goes back when it was a whole lot easier to co-call than it is now. I was given the CFO's card of the organization. Now, the CFO of the organization at the time was Billy Burnett, who's now since retired. After we agreed to agree, now I'm, I'm fast forwarding through a lot of meetings and a lot of negotiations and all that. But I remember something magical happened the very first time I installed the very first set of copiers in Johnny and Friends. Now, back that time, 25 years ago, there's 125, 130 people in this organization. After everything was installed, Billy did something that forever changed my life, Doug. That guy walked me around and he introduced me to 125 people in his organization. He didn't have to do it. He did it because that's who he was. He led his life with a servant's heart. And he personally, it took hours. I personally was introduced to 125 people in that organization. And it made me want to keep going back for more and more and more. And I go, wouldn't this be interesting? They pulled me in because of they showed how much they cared about the service that I provide them. They gave me appreciation, right? They showed me respect and I gave it right back to them. And I said, you know what? What would it mean if I did that with my clients outside of Johnny and Friends? And from that moment in time, I made it a mission that all of my clients I would see on a routine basis and I would personally shake their hands and say, thank you for doing business. And I'd walk the halls, regardless if they were involved in the decision-making process or not, because you never know who knows somebody. And it took getting, you know, this goes back 25, 26 years ago. That's chapter seven of my book. And I go, you know, what would it mean? And I just put the, I put six in there because we can at least get to know six people in an account, right? Now it's upwards of double digits. But I always say this, the more people you know, the more you grow. Mm -hmm. And the more you can help. The more you can help. The more that you learn from your customers, the more that you earn from your customers. Stealing that one too, Larry Levine. I wanted to just go back to one other thing that was on uh, page 48. This was about referrals, but it has to do with understanding your customers. And you write, as I work with sales teams, I always ask them, what do you think is the number one reason for sales reps not securing more referrals? Some reps say they don't ask. Some say they try, but to no avail. Most have no clue because they never ask. I feel the biggest reason is they don't know their clients as well as they think they do. Mm -hmm. So further uh, affirmation for, you know, understanding your customers and really the the companies that understand their customers better than their competition always seem to win. And they don't have to understand them perfectly. If you can just understand them a little bit better than the competition, it makes a big, uh, a big difference. So let's go to the second section about some of the skills that, really authentic sales professionals need. And you touched on this earlier, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. You write that the biggest problem with salespeople today is they're consistently inconsistent with how they go about developing their business. Explain what you mean there. I'm going to throw it down. I'm going to throw it down right now. It all goes back to one word. It starts with a P, ends with a G. It's called prospecting. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Pretty much the number one reason for sales failure. Uh, yeah. And so you and, and Jeb Blunt and so many others. Well, th- th- this, this goes back to, again, <laughs> how I was raised. There were certain things that were non-negotiable, like doing your homework, right? Doing your chores. Those were non-negotiable things. 
just as a sample as I was growing up. So to me, when I got into sales, it was drilled into me in the late 80s when I started. Prospect, 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 right? Mm-hmm. That's non-negotiable. I took that mindset throughout my whole career. I still do it to this day. Prospecting for me is 100% non-negotiable. And yet, seems to be the biggest problem for salespeople. What what have you learned about why people aren't prospecting? Is it about where, like in the book where you talk about why people, salespeople are hypnotizing themselves? <laughs> oh, it, that's got to be one of my all-time favorite sayings I've ever said, Doug, is salespeople have totally hypnotized themselves into believing what they aren't doing doesn't work. <laughs> like using the phone? Like, like using the phone, like doing prospecting and things like that. The reason why prospecting doesn't work is you're not doing it, <laughs> right? And you're listening to all the trash and all the noise that's out there. And I, and I say this with all sincerity, that when you're inconsistent with anything, right, you're going to get inconsistent results. And, and what's really interesting, I, I, I pop a little bit in there in the book, is I believe the root of all sales evil is an empty pipeline. Mm-hmm. It causes salespeople to do things they normally wouldn't do if their pipeline was full. So it's just a it's just a play to get people to think, right? What would it be like if you consistently did the right things day in and day out and you made a non-negotiable agreement with yourself that every single day I'm going to prospect I'm going to prospect for a new conversation, a new connection, a new relationship. And that is one of your goals, is to have a new conversation, at least one new conversation every day. Is that right? Yep. Every single day. So get to know six of your customers, try to get a new conversation at least once a day. Yeah, and, 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 I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll peel this back a, l- a little bit more. As, and I'm, it's a, again, it's one of my favorite sayings is I always say this, if you want to have an ever-flowing sales funnel, you must build an ever-flowing relationship funnel. Think about that for a second. Yes, and I want to talk about that uh, as it relates to the chapter on uh, content. But I just got to read this one other thing here that is from page 75, where it brought to mind this concept that I've read about in I think in Jeb Blunt's books and Anthony Arino's books, and you're talking about it here, and it's where they talk about the difference between rain barrels and rainmakers. And even uh, Skip Miller's book, uh, Outbounding, he talks about there's just way too many salespeople, in his opinion, that are waiting for the leads to come in, uh, rather than going out, picking up the phone, or maybe doing a walk-in if you could do that, or, or any of the many different ways that you can uh, prospect. And That's what came to mind when I read where you wrote, throughout my sales career, I didn't have a marketing department. I didn't have a business development representative. I didn't have an account development rep, nor a sales development rep. I didn't have a telemarketer. I didn't have any of this. I was solely 100% responsible for my own pipeline. Mm -hmm. A true sales professional doesn't rely on anyone else to help them prospect nor add to their pipeline. They must prospect themselves. And I know that you spoke to uh, Mark Hunter this week. He talks about the same thing, and he's a guy that worked in sales and marketing. So I I just thought that was uh, interesting and a dose of uh, reality. But you you talked about uh, earlier about maybe prospecting was easier or not. You mentioned that when you're training sales teams, you ask them if prospecting has become easier or harder over the last five years. What, What kind of answers do you get? And then share with us your opinion. You get you get a mixed array, but I I always ask, 
most of the time they're going to say it's become harder. And then, so the first thing I always fire back is, well, why do you think it's become harder? And then you, you, you always listen to, they're all excuses more than anything else, my opinion. But what I always, and I'll submit to you right now and your listeners and everybody else, to me, I think prospecting today has become a whole lot easier than it's ever been because, A, there's so much information out there now, you just got to listen for it. Mm -hmm. But it's become harder for many because it goes back to how many are consistently prospecting. And, and when you're out of practice and when you fail to prepare, when you haven't planned, and then all of a sudden your sales funnel looks like what it looks like, then things become difficult because then all of a sudden you got to go, you know what, I got to start prospecting again. And, and here's what concerns me more than anything. Go ask a well-established tenured salesperson out there to prospect. And all of a sudden, you will start hearing A, excuses, or you'll start hearing things like, um, but, um, eh. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're, they're relying on a book of business that's been built up over the years. And that's why I always held myself to personally prospect every single day. Now, if we fast forward to the business inside selling from the heart and things like that, still no different, Doug. And I know, you know, special shout out to Daryl Amy on this one because he knows it. Yeah, it's been a few minutes since we mentioned him. Yeah, I know. Daryl, I'm sorry. I had to bring your name up because you're probably getting jealous. You haven't heard your name. But I prospect seven days a week. Really? Seven days a week. I prospect. And, and here's why I say this, and I really want to be clear on this, is I practice what I preach. If you want salespeople, right? If you're a leader out there listening to this, if you want your salespeople to become better at prospecting, you jump in and do it with them. Now, a lot of people are going to go, Larry, you're freaking nuts, right? I don't have time. I'm going to use an example. Can I use a sports analogy, please? Preferably if it's related to the Los Angeles Dodgers, of which you are a, an enormous fan. Well, this one's going to be the Los Angeles Rams, which is National Football League, American football. Okay, but don't get Mike Weinberg started because they used to be in his hometown of St. Louis. I know. So, Mike, if you're listening to this one, I know, I know right now you're throwing daggers at me, but just bear with me on this one. But this, I, I'm using this as a reference point. I remember how dysfunctional and how bad that team was until they moved back to Southern California. Their training camp's about two miles from my house right now. And when Sean McVay became the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, he did something that I hadn't seen done in a long time, being a lifelong Los Angeles Rams sports fan, is the drills that he had asked his players to do, Doug, guess what he was doing? He was doing it himself? He was doing it himself. How I know this? Because I would sit up on a hill with a binocular and watch because it was so close to my house. And he's the head coach. He's the leader of that team. Talk about getting buy-in, right? So I, I share this point because if you're a sales leader out there, and if you want your sales people to become better at what they do, work with them and lead by example. Don't just say, hey, make more calls. Make the calls with them. Hey, make better conversations, engage in better conversations, then lead by example and show them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a chapter on servant-led sales leadership. And you write that a servant-led sales professional becomes a minister to those affected by dishonest and unscrupulous sales reps. Can you say more about this concept of servant-led sales? There's a huge difference to be servant-led than to be service-led. To me, a servant is proactive to serve, right? Whereas service is reactive. Service is reactionary. 
Now, here's what's interesting. I came out of a sales channel that would always say this. Our service response time is X number of hours, right? We're here to provide great service. I'm not knocking any of this, right? Mm -hmm. But let's just think about it in its simplest format. Service is a defensive move. To serve is an offensive move. I learned how to serve, serve up the best version of myself, serve up my insights, serve up my education, serve up my other clients to other people, serve up my network, help them because why? Because I care and I give a rip. It also brings to mind like my accountant. I don't get in trouble with the tax authorities and then go to him and say, hey, can you fix this? They come to me and all the their clients beforehand and say, you need to do this by this date. There's been a change in the law. <laughs> yeah. You, and here's what's interesting. I, I, I learned this early on in my career that the more proactive I was inside of my clients' businesses, then the little things never became the big things. Mm -hmm. If you get what I'm saying, right? Well, but it's also, you're there. You're not waiting for the water to boil and uh, everything to get out of control. Yeah. And, and, and I, I share with people, everybody, whether you're a sales leader, sales professional, you're a marketing leader. If you want to learn what it means to serve, I'm going to encourage everybody, go out into your community and get involved. Lend a helping hand. Serve on a not-for-profit board. Yes, that was an interesting part of your, your of your book. It, it was a couple of reasons also, because a lot of the people that you can help in your career are also serving on boards, and you can get to know them, And but you also understand better about serving others. So, Larry, in, in my mind, you saved the, the best for the last, because chapters eight and nine were probably my two favorite chapters. And chapter eight was about continuing education. And so the listener understands there are only 10 chapters. So it's really interesting to me that you <laughs> devoted an entire chapter to continuing education. And then chapter nine, which we'll talk about in a minute, is all about content. That's right, salespeople. <laughs> it's, it's about content. Um, I want to read, there's one of my favorite quotes is by Jim Rohn, and you had it in there, and I was excited to see it. It really is one of my favorites. Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. And then you, you go on to write that most sales reps are in a failing grade when it comes to educating themselves. Tell us what you mean. Why is that happening? And, and what are the successful ones doing? I think the reason why it's happening is everyone's looking for shortcuts and shiny objects and hacks to get themselves through sales. They don't want to do the work. They want all the accolades with the least amount of work possible, as opposed to what would it mean to my career if I educated myself? What would it mean to my career if I knew more about my industry than anybody else does? Mm -hmm. And what, what, re what really drove that chapter, Doug, is I remember in, I'm heavily involved in my Kiwanis group, it's a community service-based organization here in the city that I live in. And I remember listening to an ex-school teacher who then runs the Parent Teachers Association in the county that I live in. And she said this, and this is what really drove the point home in the book. And I would encourage everyone who's really key in on this for a moment. She said that teachers must know 10 times more content than their students. Yes, Okay. And mm -hmm. right then the light bulb went off. And, and, and again, this is well before I even started writing the book. And I, because I remember that it was in the back of my memory. And I said, you know what? Salespeople must know 10 times 
the content that the buyer or their clients know. It's not that they need to know everything. It's not that a teacher needs to know everything. It's just that if they're asked a question, they can logically respond with an answer. Yes. You write, salespeople must know 10 times the content than that of the buyer. If you fail to continue your education, then in the buyer's mind, you're failing to bring the goods. This is one huge reason why buyers look on the internet and self-educate themselves. Very few sales reps actually lead with insights and educate the buyer on how to help them do their job better. But Larry, there was one part I've got to read just because it it became a religious uh, moment for me. And I think everyone listening to this podcast are the type of people that are into self-education and self-improvement. I say that because I've been able to meet a number of listeners from around the world, and they're a lot of very uh, successful people. And I should add, they're also very attractive people. Uh, Larry, I know you've got good-looking listeners, but I have the best-looking listeners in all of podcast land. But you write, let me ask you this question. Please add up how much of your own money you've invested over the past year in your private sales education. How much of your own money did you spend to learn something new about sales to help you improve your performance and enhance your sales skills set? How many sales books did you purchase? How many did you read? Have you hired a mentor? Did you attend sales conferences? Do you enroll in online classes to learn more about how to sell to your clients and prospects? If the total amount you personally invested in your own sales success doesn't equate to 1% of your year-to-date earnings in the past year, then I urge you to ask yourself a very pointed and direct question. Am I really that serious about my sales career? Ask any sales rep, what's the last great book they read? Ask them, what's the last great podcast they listened to besides Selling from the Heart and Marketing Book Podcast? I'm sorry, I added that part. Hey, that was a good plug, Doug. Or what article they have read that has helped them do their job better? I can hear the crickets now. So it, that chapter just got me really fired up, and I just know the that it applies to so many of the listeners. And as I also like to say, these days, the big learners are the big earners. Let's go to chapter nine, though. It's all about content. And you write that a true sales professional learns how to digitally fish in the same online ocean that their clients and prospects educate themselves within. Talk about how sales reps need to leverage content as bait. So I'm going to share this through the eyes of a salesperson for a moment. But it, I think it's going to apply even on the, on the marketing side as well, is I never like to fish, but the concept plays out is we know that, and I've asked, I've asked those who fish religiously, can you catch a fish without bait? And a vast majority of them, obviously, you know the answer, Doug, they're going to say no. It's really hard to reel in that fish without the right bait on the end of the hook. Well, unless maybe you have a big net. Unless you have a big net and you see a bunch of fish here and you just scoop them up, but that's yeah. cheating. Yes. Right? And so now then the world that we live in today, where everybody's online, right? We're digitally driven. We're mobily empowered. You know, we operate through social networks and things like that, right? If we have a question, we may not even ask anyone. We just freaking open up our smartphones and start typing away and see where it leads us. To me, salespeople must leverage content and content's the bait, right? Content's the bait out there and the conversation and the engagement, that's the hook, right? Mm -hmm. And then as a salesperson, you reel in with really great conversation. I'm a quote geek. I geek out on quotes all day long, Doug. 
And there's a quote long time ago by, by Tony Robbins. I don't remember the whole entire quote, but the very end of the sentence went like this. Success leaves clues. Mm, right? Yes. So I flipped that around long time ago, and I said, social leaves clues. Mm-hmm. Now, I can replace social with content. Content leaves clues. It's up to us to listen as salespeople, as marketing people. It's up to us to listen. Listening's the new prospecting. So I am going to listen to the clues that people are putting out on social because I'm a big believer in this. The reason why individuals and businesses out there post content, this is my opinion, is they want to be seen and heard in its simplest format. So if they want to be seen and heard, it's up to us as salespeople and marketing people to listen. And we reel in that with great engaging conversation, but social leaves clues. We need to be pay attention to the content that people are posting and leverage that to open up conversations with people. Yes. And it also brings to mind, again, one of my favorite quotes from the book, which applies to sales, but also marketing. You write, instead of worrying about being interesting, we need first to be interested. (laughs) And just by sharing the right content, you can show that you are, in fact, interested because so much of the marketing content out there, or too much of it, is so self-oriented and self-congratulatory. But I wanted to... Okay, so you let's say there's a salesperson listening and saying, yeah, but my marketing people aren't providing anything to me or I don't have a marketing department, just like that quote I read earlier. You write, in cases where sales and marketing may not be aligned, a sales professional will take ownership by building a digital library of content, which can then be used to teach and tailor their audience, prospects, and clients Throughout the buying and sales journey, a sales professional will become a librarian of knowledge. They source, read, learn, and index this knowledge as they invite their clients and prospects into their den of insight. I also wonder, Larry, if people think, oh, it has to be our content. And I don't think you, you could be doing this without producing any content, right? You could be sharing content. So spot on. So where I picked up on this a long time ago, and I'll use another word, I learned how to become a content connoisseur a long time ago, or concierge as -hmm. well. Yeah. And, And what I would do is, there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, of posting your company's content, as long as it's a small portion of what you're posting, right? But what I did that was completely different, and this goes back nine, 10 years ago, is I would start asking my clients. I started asking prospects, multiple people deep in companies, right? C-level, CFOs, CIOs, mid-level decision makers, whether those be IT people, marketing, right? People in accounting departments. What do you read online? Where do you go, right? If you want to improve your career, if you want to educate yourself, where are you going? What sites are you going to? What are your favorite sites you have in your, uh, you know, that you go to on the internet? And I would build a mental bank of that. And then guess what I did? Simple as, I'd encourage everybody to do this. Go ask your clients where they go to online to educate themselves, make mental notes, create favorites, you know, in whatever web browser you use and start educating yourself on that same thing that they're educating themselves on and serve it up for them. Connect to them and serve up what they're reading. That's the stuff that you're going to get engagement on. Yes, yes. So true. And also, it helps me with other prospects because, you know, this idea of learning as much as you can from your customers actually makes you more competitive. And when you're, let's say you're selling to a particular 
industry or vertical, the more you can learn from them, it's going to work with the uh, the other folks as well. I think the reason why it becomes so darn important, especially today, is I'm really concerned that many in sales have become conversationally incompetent, Doug. Mm. Think about that for a second. Larry, is that related in part to your concern about people not knowing how to use the phone? Partially. But I, th- I, I think what it would, and now I'm a, I, this is sales centric when I say this, just because I just, I geek out on anything sales, is I think salespeople forever and a day have been programmed to have sales centric conversations. Well, humans are self oriented anyway. Well, exactly. But most salespeople truly engage with somebody when they're ready to buy something, right? Lord forbid that a salesperson, now I'm, I'm making a bold statement here, Lord forbid a salesperson gets involved in a conversation with somebody when they're not ready to buy something. Well, I, that's not a bad thing, actually. No, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's less crowded space, too. It's less crowded space, and you get some of the best conversations. But here's why I'm, here's why I'm saying that I, I'm, I'm concerned that most salespeople are conversationally incompetent, is because the conversation you have initially with somebody, my opinion, may not be sales-centric. It may be business-centric. It might be personally-centric based on something that you found out about them. And we, we, we fast forward through that and we want to get right to the sales conversation first. Well, guess what? In the world that we live in today, my opinion, you may not get to the sales conversation until you can connect and relate with somebody. And you may not connect and relate to somebody with sales-centric conversation. That's why I say what I say. Well, I think it's pretty good odds that you're not going to connect with them. <laughs> All you're trying to do is talk about if you have an enormously uh, self-oriented outlook uh, and it's all about your own products and services. It just kind of ruins all the other things. Larry, one last question about the book. There's a terrible malady going around, and I'm not talking about the coronavirus. It's commission breath. What is commission breath, and and what can be done about it? Is there even a cure for it? You know what? Breath mints can't even cure commission breath, Doug. <laughs> but people smell it. It's the it's the all about me. They smell it a mile away. They smell it a mile away. They, they, you know, pardon the expression, they smell the sales crapola. Okay. Instantaneously, they smell the sales jargon and the canned pitches and the fake sincerity. They mm-hmm. smell all of that. I'm here to tell you that buyers are a lot smarter than people think they are. Buyers are a lot smarter than sales people think they are. And in my opinion, there's, I'm a big believer. People are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yes. Larry, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Hold yourself accountable to personal growth. Hold yourself 100% accountable to your personal, and I'm going to add in their professional growth. Great advice. Great advice. And if I could, I can't resist. I've got to add to your answer from page <laughs> 20, where you write, here is what I would like for you to get out of this book. Stay true to who you are. Be the real deal. Be genuine. Be authentic and sincere. Give a rip about your career and do what you need to do to get things done. Make things happen. Don't become somebody you're not. Don't build a sales lie. Living a sales lie will bite you in the ass every time. (laughs) Oh, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, Doug. Yes. So, What's just one thing a listener could do today to put in action 
one of the many ideas uh, from your book, either that's in the book or that we've talked about? I would say this, become, become a sales-minded servant as opposed to a reactionary sales rep. Mm. And what's something practical somebody could do that to become more servant? Spend more time with your customers? Well, two things. I'd say, A, spend more time with their customers and ask them what would it be like, right? Ask them that. In fact, I'll, I'll spin this around just for a second. Ask your customers how they'd like to be taken care of. How would you like me to serve you? What's that look like? I don't know that I've ever been asked that by anyone. I'm literally, I challenge your listeners to do this. Go ask your clients. Can you share with me, what does it mean to serve? How could I be of how can I serve you? What can I do to help you and listen and watch what happens? First of all, after they pick themselves up off the floor. Right. Yes, and then I, I think the second, I think the second part of this is go get involved in the community, learn how to serve, get involved with a not-for-profit organization and lend a helping hand. That'll give you a really true understanding of what it means to serve. Great advice. So Larry, in the book, you talk about how you beat yourself up in the early years and you felt guilty and you're kind of driving yourself crazy and you started to learn how to have a more positive mental outlook. And the other thing that you said you did was you became a voracious reader. Yep. What books have most inspired your working career? Three oldies and one that's kind of old, but not old. So uh, the first three are oldies. They've been around forever and a day. First one's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yes. Absolute spot on book. That book was written in 1937, Doug, and still holds true today. It's about building relationships and changing the way people think. Had a very impactful, it's an impactful read that I had early on in my career. Yes. And that book has been mentioned several times on this podcast. And my daughter just finished up at school last year, graduated from college. Uh huh. She read it. Now she's got a sales job in New York City. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in this. If people read that book today, that book, the whole premise of that book still holds true today. If Dale Carnegie was alive and well sitting in companies today and they were reading that book, he'd have a big smile on his face. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, the, great advice. Great, other, great, great recommendation. Oh, a freaking amazing book. The other one's How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you interviewed him. He was our one. He was our one year anniversary guest on Selling from the Heart podcast. He actually reached out to us and asked, "What do I need to do to get on the Selling from the Heart podcast?" And no I said, kidding, I didn't know that. I, just a quick backstory on this one, Doug it, it, and Daryl. When you listen to this, you you know because he didn't even think it was true. I get one day I get a message on a Friday afternoon from Tom Hopkins. This is a true story, and Tom Hopkins said, "Hey, I've been listening to the Selling from the Heart podcast. What does it take?" to come on the Selling from the Heart podcast. And you said, oh, I don't know, be Tom Hopkins. And I said, is this really Tom Hopkins? Yeah, you thought it was Daryl Amy pranking no, him. I, no, you I watch that Amy guy. Yeah, I know. He's a, he's a character. And he goes, no, this is really Tom Hopkins. And I said, you don't need, you don't, when do you want to come on the podcast? And he was actually our one-year guest on the podcast. So that, that, was, that was kind of funny. It wasn't planned that way. It just happened that way. Oh, that's great. Um, another book that's a classic and it's an easy read. It's The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Yes, that's been mentioned several times on the show, too. Interesting. It's amazing, amazing book. It's an epic read, easy read. And then the last book, which is it's, 
it's not as old as these books, but it's a book written by Kevin Davis, and it's Slow Down, Sell Faster. Oh, interesting. I don't know that one. Yeah, that book was written, oh, about 2010. Great, great, great book. Had an impact to me like none other latter part of my career. Oh, interesting. Well, it's a great title, too. Slow down, sell faster. Understand your customer's buying process and maximize your sales. Yeah, 2011. Yeah. Interesting. Super great guy. Oh, good. Good. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to seeing come out or to reading? Act three books I just finished. I'll share those. And then one I'm reading and one that's on my next up list. Great. And I've learned how to read books beyond sales books. I encourage people out there, read beyond sales and read behind marketing. And yes. Become a- first reader. Absolutely. It's how you're going to connect and relate to people and engage in conversation. One of the, I, I would say one of the best books I read in 2020 was a book by Jason Van Camp called Deliberate Discomfort, a game changer. The guy just came on the Selling from the Heart podcast. He's a Green Beret, Medal of Valor, absolute phenomenal book. Wow. Yeah, I see. Deliberate discomfort, how U.S. Special Operations Forces overcome fear and dare to win by getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Absolute. One of the best people out there. Great freaking book. I just finished The uh, the Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. Amazing book. Amazing, amazing book. And then the other book that had a big impact and a special shout out to our friends over at BombBomb is Rehumanize Your Business by Ethan Butte and Stephen Passanelli. Yes, Great. that was on the show. I loved it. Oh. And, uh, and I think they're working on another one. They're, I, I just caught wind. They're working on a second book together right now. Yeah, I, I really like that book. And I was just talking about it two weeks ago in my sales class because they were asking questions about you know using personal videos. And I said, oh, Ugh. you've got to read this book because... Ugh. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to use BombBomb software, although they're, no. uh, they're, they're, they're very clear about that, but they're explaining how much more effective your outreach to others is if you use personal videos, and it, not just in sales. Yep. So, yeah, great, great yep. recommendation. Phenomenal book. And the book that I'm, I'm reading right now, I'm two chapters in, and it's blowing my mind right now, is Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Groeschel. Hmm absolute game changer book. It's winning the war in your mind, change your thinking, change your life. And he's a, he's a pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma. Oh yeah, I see it just came out. About it just ago. came out yeah. and it's it's skyrocketing out there. In fact, I'm I'm doing a book read with a very very good friend of mine around the book. It's uh Winning the war in your mind, it's, it's been – I follow him religiously in the leadership podcast that he has. And then the book, the book that's next on deck or batter up is um, Training Camp by John Gordon. Oh. What the best do better than everyone else. Yeah, John Gordon. Interesting. Well, and I see that Wiley's publishing that. Oh, that no, excuse me. That came out in 2009. Interesting, interesting. Well – Thank you for that. We're going to have some great show notes with links to all of these books. <laughs> and uh, no, I bought extra web page space for you. It's 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 not a problem. Oh well, thanks, Doug. Uh, along with all the uh, cassettes that I use to record this show. <clears throat> Joking. <laughs> cassettes now you okay? Cassettes now, Doug. You just aged yourself, yes. dude. No, it's a big reel to reel. I remember. 
Oh, now it's getting even worse. My dad had one of those, yeah. <laughs> so at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, uh, your site, your LinkedIn profile. We'll even link to Daryl Amy's uh, interview uh, on the Marketing Book Podcast because, you know, we got we got to take care of Daryl. And I, uh, I, I will tell you this, though, real quickly, though, Doug, and this is – this is a tip of the cap to Daryl. He knows this. I wouldn't be exactly where I'm at today without two people, Daryl Amy and my wife, Robin. Mm. And and Daryl knows that. And my wife, Robin knows that. Well, you know what? It was Daryl Amy that I, I I was able to get through to you. (laughs) I'm not saying I used Daryl Amy to get to Larry Levine, but you know, I, I asked him about it and he said, yeah, next thing I know your book showed up. So it's not just any book. It was an autographed book. So, you know, Larry Levine sent it to me, but we're going to include links to all of those things and, and your website and so forth. And if you, as a listener, you've found something helpful or uh, insightful or something you want to ask Larry about, please reach out to him and connect with him and make his day. The guests on the Marketing Book Podcast love hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners, and it really excites them, and they're able to answer questions and and, and get to know folks. So, uh, and also for you, uh, listener, if you've uh, if you're listening on your smartphone, you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app. All of these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Selling from the Heart. How Your Authentic Self Sells You. The author is Larry Levine. Larry, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure, Doug. This was I had an absolute amazing time. You're a super great guy. Thank you. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, which monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings for free. It's a very advanced free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use, why even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at hrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. You can also find a link to it at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com along with a video that shows you how it works. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune.